Section three of Harper's Young People, Volume One, Issue Nine, December thirtieth, eighteen seventy nine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Betty B. Harper's Young People, Volume One, Issue Nine, December thirtieth, eighteen seventy nine. Around the World in a Steam Yacht. The beautiful steam yacht, Henriette, of which a picture is given on this page, has just left New York, bound on a pleasure voyage around the world. Her passengers are her owner, Monsieur Henri Say, and his wife and child, and they will doubtless have a most pleasant voyage and see many strange sights and countries before it is ended. The general outline of the route to be pursued is from New York down the coast, touching at Baltimore and Washington, and possibly at some of the southern ports, then to the West Indies, where several weeks will be spent in cruising among the beautiful islands. Some of the principal South American cities will be visited before stormy Cape Horn is doubled, and the Henriette enters the quieter waters of the Pacific. Then the plan of the voyage includes the Sandwich Islands, San Francisco, Japan, China, Australia, the East Indian Islands, India, Arabia, the Red Sea, Egypt, the Suez Canal, Turkey, the many interesting countries bordering on the Mediterranean, and at last France, where Monsieur Say's home is, and where the long voyage will end in the harbor of Nantes. The Henriette was built at Newburgh on the Hudson last summer at a cost of $50,000, and was originally named the Chagron, but she was sold and her name changed before she went on her first cruise she is rigged as a topsail schooner and under steam can make seventeen knots an hour which is very fast travelling she is two hundred five feet long overall and is the largest steam yacht but one ever built in this country she is to be accompanied in her trip around the world by a smaller steam yacht or tender named the follet in which will be carried quantities of choice provisions and extra supplies of all kinds the crew of the Henriette numbers thirty men, all of whom are French, excepting her engineers, who are Americans, and the discipline maintained on board is that of a French man-of-war. The New Year's Errand What are those children doing? asked the clergyman of his wife a few days after Christmas. I really cannot tell you, James, was the reply, as his wife peered anxiously over his shoulder and out of the window. All that I know about it is this. I was busy in the pantry when Rob put his head in and asked if he could have the Christmas tree, as nearly everything had been taken off of it. So I said yes, and there he goes with it, sure enough. I do hope the wax from the candles has not spotted the parlor carpet. Don't be anxious, wife. Christmas comes but once a year, and when it comes should bring good cheer. Yes, said the careful housewife. I suppose I do worry. But there, it is snowing again, and Bertha perched up on that tree on Rob's sled, and she's so subject to croup. The more she is out in the pure air, the less likely she is to take cold. But where are they going? I really do not know, James. Did you ever see a dog more devoted to anyone than Jip is to Rob? There he goes, dancing beside him now. And I see Rob is tied on the scarf Bertha knit for him. That is done to please her. She did work so hard to get it finished in time 
before he came home for the holidays. She is very like her own dear little mother in kindness and care for others, was the reply. The mother gave a bright smile and a kiss for the compliment, but a little wail from the nursery hurried her out of the room. Christmas at the parsonage had been delightful, for first of all, Rob's return from boarding school was a pleasurable event. He always came home in such good spirits, was so full of his jokes and nonsense, and had so many funny things to tell about the boys. Then there was the dressing of the church with evergreens, and the decoration of the parlor with wreaths of holly or running pine, and the spicy smell of all the delicacies which were in course of preparation, for Sally was a famous cook, and would brook no interference when mince pies and plum pudding were to be concocted. But the children thought the arrival of a certain box, which was always dispatched from town, the very best of all the Christmas delights. This box came from their rich aunts and uncles, who seemed to think that the little parsonage must be a dreary place in winter, and so, to make up to its inmates for losing all the brightness of a city winter, they sent everything they could think of in the way of beautiful pictures, gorgeous books, games, sugar plums, and enough little glittering things for two or three trees. Of course, the clergyman always laid aside some of these things for other occasions, lest the children be surfeited. And so Christmas had passed happily, as usual. The school children had sung their carols and enjoyed their feast. The poor had been carefully looked after and made comfortable. And there had come the usual lull after a season of excitement. It was now the day before the first of the new year, and the parson was writing a sermon. He was telling people what a good time it was to try and turn over a new leaf, to be nobler, truer, braver than they had ever been before, to let the old year carry away with it all selfishness, all anger, envy, and unloving thoughts. And as he wrote, he looked out of the window at the falling snow and wondered where Bob and Bertha could have gone. Dinner time came, and Ellen, Mama, and the parson sat down alone. Where are those children? repeated Mama. I do not think you need to be worried, Kate, said Aunt Ellen. Rob is so thoughtful, he will take good care of Bertha. They have perhaps stopped in at a neighbor's and been coaxed to stay. Very likely, said the parson, and then the baby came in, crowing and chuckling and claiming his privileges, such as sitting in a high chair and feeding the cat and Mama had enough to do to keep the merry fellow in order, or his fat little hands would have grasped all the silver and pulled over the glasses. After dinner, while the parson let the baby twist his whiskers or creep about his knees, Mama played some lovely German music, and Aunt Ellen crocheted. The short afternoon grew dusky. Baby went off to the nursery, the parson had lighted his cigar, and was going out for a walk. But Mama looked so anxious that he said, I will go look for the children, Kate. Really, I think you will have to give Rob a little scolding, my dear. He should have told us where he was going. Yes, I suppose so, said the parson, when just then there was a gleeful cry, a merry chorus made up of Rob's, Bertha's, and Jip's voices, and there they were, Bertha on the sled, and Rob was her horse. Where have you been, my son, said the parson, trying to be severe. You should not have gone off in this manner for the whole day without asking permission. Rob's bright smile faded a little, but Bertha said quickly, Please, Papa, don't scold Rob, if you only knew. Hush, Bertha, said Rob, and red as his cheeks were, 
they grew redder i am sorry you are offended sir i did not mean to be so long we were detained what detained you and where did you get your dinner asked mamma oh we had plenty to eat but you don't intend us to know where you got it no sir said rob frankly now papa you shall not scold rob said bertha putting her hand in his come into your study go away rob go give jip his supper come mamma and bertha dragged them both into the fire where with sparkling eyes and cheeks like carnation she began to talk mamma you remember that scrimmage rob got into with the village boys last fourth of july and how hatefully they knocked him down and how bruised his eye was for a long time yes i remember and i always blamed rob he should never have had anything to do with those rowdies i didn't blame him i never blame rob for anything except when he won't do what i want him to do well the worst one of all those horrid boys is sim jenkins at least he was i don't think he's quite so bad now but he has been punished for all his badness for he hurt his leg awfully and has been laid up for months so his mother says and she is quite nice she gave us our dinner to-day somehow or other rob heard that sim was in bed and had not had any christmas things and that his mother was poor and she says all her money has gone for doctor's bills and medicine and so it just came into his head that perhaps it would do sim good to have a christmas tree on new year's day and he asked mrs jenkins and she was afraid it would make a muss but rob said he would be careful and so he carried our tree over and fixed it in a box and covered the box with moss and we have been as busy as bees trying to make it look pretty and that is what has kept us so long for rob had to run down to the store and get things nails and ribbons and i don't know what all and sim is not to know anything about the tree until to-morrow and please give us some of the pretty things which were in our box for we could not get quite enough to fill all the branches rob spent so much of his pocket money on a knife for sim that he had none left for candy for he said the tree would not give sim so much pleasure unless there was something on it which he could always keep here little bertha stopped for want of breath and looked into the faces of her listeners the parson put his arm around her as he said i hardly think we can scold rob now after special pleading so eloquent as this what do you say mamma i say that rob is just like his father in doing this kindly deed and i am glad to be the mother of a boy who can return good for evil the parson made a bow now we are even madam in the matter of gracious speeches so sim jenkins woke up on new year's day to see from his weary bed a vision of brightness a little tree laden with its fruit of kindness its flowers of a forgiving spirit and as the parson preached his new year's sermon and saw rob's dark eyes looking up at him he thought of the verse in their young hearts soft and tender guide my hand good seed to sow that its blossoming may praise thee wheresoever they go end of section three